Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Amen. You can grab a seat. And by the way, you guys soundeth awesome. Give yourself a clap. That was great. Um, I couldn't help but use the F on the end of that right there. We're in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. If you're new to our church, we typically study through books of the Bible. We are tackling the first book of the Bible, and we're going to talk about real, authentic faith today. But really, somebody ought to slap a warning label on faith. If you've ever bought a product that has a warning label on there, what people are basically saying is, if you use this thing right, it will really do a good job for you. Use this thing wrong, and it might blow up in your faith. In your face. Did you notice how I just said faith as a pun to faith? If you have to say it's a pun, it's not a good pun. pun. Come on, work with me, you guys. Somebody really does need to put a warning label on genuine, authentic, following Jesus' faith. Actually, there probably needs to be two of them on there because the first warning label needs to say, when Jesus takes command of your destiny, when he becomes the king of your soul, your life will get infinitely better and it will probably get immediately worse at the same time. Can we just be honest? Maybe you've heard a preacher tell you, give your life to Jesus, everything is going to go awesome after that. Well, that's part of the story. But it's only part of the story. It's not really the whole story. So really, we need to have a warning label on there that helps us to handle the problems after following Jesus. And when those days happen, and they're going to happen to every single one of Jesus' people, the first word out of your mouth is going to be why. Don't get me wrong, why is not a bad question to ask, but I also want to tell you why is a dangerous question if you ask it the wrong way. I really think that why is either the best or the worst question that you can ask, depending on what you mean by this question, when you are going through hard times. And what we see today is the father of the faith, the great leader of the Christian faith, the Hebrew faith, even the Muslim faith, Abraham goes through some hard times. And although the Bible doesn't say it, he's struggling with the question, why? Here's the second warning label that they should put on real faith. If you ask the question, why? Well, it can be very powerful, very, very helpful for your soul in the future. You ask the wrong why question and nothing good comes out of that. In fact, if you're not careful, and my guess is everybody in the room knows somebody like this, Asking the why question wrong can shipwreck your faith. It could be the reason why you turn around and you walk away from Jesus because of that question the wrong way. Now, today's sermon really won't make a lot of sense if you don't understand the beginning of Genesis 12. We're in the second half of this chapter. Beginning of the chapter, Abraham becomes the father of our faith. God says, Abe, Sell everything, leave everything, pack everything up, and go. I'm not even telling you where we're going to go. And he does exactly what what he says. And the flash to bang on this, best that we can tell, is no time between the time that God says go and the time that Abraham went. 
God tells Abram where we're going to go after he starts walking. And then God makes a great promise to Abram. That's what goes on in the beginning of chapter 12. By the way, the promise in Abram or the promise in Genesis chapter 12 is probably the second greatest promise of all time. All of the rest of the Bible is built on this promise. If you will trust me, Abram, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. I'm going to be with you every second of the way if you will trust me. If you're asking yourself, well, if this is number two on the list, what's number one? The number one promise is when Jesus promises to take somebody who's dead and make them alive again. That's the greatest promise of all time. This is the promise that all of the rest of the Bible is built on. And then immediately after Abram does everything God tells him to do, the bottom drops out. And Abram starts to ask some hard questions. And quite honestly today, he makes some really, really bad decisions. So what I want to do is walk you through how to ask this why question well, so that your faith grows because of it, not that you turn around and you walk away from Christianity. So the first thing that happens after Abram does everything God asks him to do, is there's a famine. And if you were living in his tent, you would ask this question on the screen. Why am I going through a famine? But the more important question is, why am I confused about this? Why does this famine frustrate me? Basically, the better way to ask this question is, what is wrong with my theology? What needs to change in my belief system that I think I shouldn't have to go through a famine? Because this is where the story starts. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 10. And I am convinced everyone listening to my voice is right where he is right now. You have been right where he is right now, or you're about to be right where Abram is. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a time because the famine was severe in the land. Would you say the word severe out loud? It was so severe that he was about to starve to death. I got to do something to feed my family. And Abram, back in the day, probably had a theology that was built like this. Um, famine is a result of drought, and God controls the rain. So if we're going through a drought, whose fault is it? Gotcha. This is probably what's rattling through Abram's mind. We don't ever hear him ask the question, why today? But I am certain he's struggling with this. Wait a second, God. I thought I was your boy. I thought you promised me that if I follow you into the desert, you were going to bless those that bless me and curse those that curse me, and you were going to be with me. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? I did everything that you asked me to do, God. Literally, I would be back in my hometown right now if I didn't follow you into this desert. If you were Abram, you would probably be thinking, I would still be back in Iraq, in the Euphrates-Tigris River Valley, where at least we can irrigate the fields with some river water. I'm in the middle of the desert, right where you told me to go, 
and there's no water, and there's no food, and my family is starving. And God, this is your fault. In fact, he's probably wrestling with this question, and maybe you're super spiritual, and this has never happened to you. But he's probably asking the question, if I never followed you, God, I wouldn't be in this boat right now. I'd be back where I started from with my father, back in the land where there is at least a little bit of water. And now we're starving to death. And by the way, this isn't just missing a meal or two. Ask anybody in this room who's ever been to ranger school before, this kind of slow, torturous death will make you do some stupid stuff. And Abram's family is starving to death. And like any good family leader, I got to do something. What you do next is really, really important. And of course, he's asking the question, why? Why, God, did this happen? If you ask the question, why me? You really are asking the wrong question. If you were to ask the question, why, God, are you allowing this? In other words, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to grow in me because of these circumstances? Now, that is a good question. That is a powerful question. Let's just be honest. If you're comparing yourself and your circumstances to your neighbor or to another Christian, when you ask the question, why me and not her? You're probably never going to get the answer to that question. And even if God were to answer it, you probably aren't going to like that answer. But if you will ask a different why question, if you will ask the question of why, God, are you allowing these circumstances? What do you want to change in me? What do you want to grow in me because of this? I promise you, I will bet my next paycheck on this. You'll get the answer to that question, and you will be better off because of that question than if you ask, why me and not her? What did I do wrong, or what did she do right? That kind of theology, by the way, it's actually Eastern mysticism. It's Hindu reincarnation. It has no place in a Christian's soul God really is the king of the universe, and Abram is hurting so bad that he walks from Iraq, where God tells him to leave, goes to Israel today, where he's at when the drama starts, the famine starts, and he decides, we're going to walk on foot all the way to Egypt, because there's a Nile River there, and maybe there's at least a little bit of water, or a little bit of food around the water in Egypt, why is a powerful question. Why is an important question if you ask it right? So just humor me for a second. Would you say these three words out loud? Why me, God? Say it out loud. That's the wrong question to ask when life starts to hurt. Because why me, God, is always comparing your circumstances to somebody else's circumstances, and you're trying to figure out, God, why are you treating me like this and treating them like that? It's the wrong question to ask when life hurts. Don't get me wrong. There are sometimes it's the right question to ask, why me? Like the moment that Jesus steps in and takes control of your soul. Why me, Jesus? What do you see in me that is even worthy of you spilling your blood for? That's a bad question. A better question 
is why God. Say that one out loud. Why God are you allowing hardships? What do you want to teach me? What do you want me to experience because of these hardships? What do you want me to learn because of these difficulties? And if you'll ask the second question, it's really powerful. It's really important. The first question is really dangerous, and they ought to slap a warning label on Christian faith with this first question. Because the truth is, that famine is going to get really confusing And it's either going to feel like I'm doing something wrong or, God, you're doing me wrong if you ask the first question. If you ask the second question, you're going to get an answer. And you're going to get an answer that will make you stronger on the other side if you don't run from it. If you don't turn to pills or a bottle, if you don't look for your own escape, if you don't try to handle the circumstances all on your own, if you don't try to solve your problems all by yourself, what I'm saying is if you are willing to live in it long enough, you will learn from it if you'll ask the second question. If you will do what Abram didn't do. See, when the famine came, And his family is starving to death. And it's natural for you to look for a solution to this problem. Abram chooses the wrong solution. And he starts to listen to fear. And now what I want to do is answer the question, why is fear so dangerous? I mean, if Abram would just take a step back for a moment and decide, why am I so afraid right now? Why am I so hurry? Why am I in such a hurry to solve my own problems? Maybe we don't read about what we hear next. But when life gets scary, that's going to happen to all of us, just like it did to Abram. When life gets scary, it is natural for you to run for a door and try to get out of the painful circumstances. And what you might be doing is running away from the very lesson that God is trying to teach you. Abram goes to Egypt, and when he's in Egypt, he gets scared, and he does something that he should have never done, and in his soul, he knows it's wrong, and this is one of those moments in the Bible where I want to say, come on, bro, you know better than this. Come on, you should have never done what you do next. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 11. It came about when he was approaching Egypt that he said to his wife, Sarai, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, so that it may go well for me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Basically, he is so scared that he believes my life is in danger before we even step foot into into Egypt. Hey, honey, I need you to lie for me. Now it came about, sure enough, when Abram entered Egypt, that the Egyptians saw that this woman was smoking hot. I mean, his wife was very beautiful and the Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, basically became part of Pharaoh's harem. And therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake. 
and gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels, did you recognize, fun fact, that the very reason why Sarah has a servant named Hagar is because of this incident right here. Just tuck that little ditty away in the back of your mind for a few weeks. Abram is scared. Abram is about to enter Egypt. He knows that if they find out you're my wife, you're so beautiful, they're going to kill me to get to you. So, hey, baby, would you just lie for me and tell everybody half-truth? You see, she actually is his wife by marriage relationship, his father's marriage relationship, or his sister. It's, it's not one of those kind of weird relationships. And he says, would you just cover up the fact that we're husband and wife and just talk about half of the truth, the truth that you are my sister, half-sister, and I am your half-brother. Fear is contagious. And this kind of fear, listen, y'all, is going to spread through Abram's family. In fact, his grandson, Jacob, is going to do the exact same thing that his pops did. He is going to follow fear instead of being honest when it's dangerous. And Jacob is going to run to Egypt when he gets scared, just like Abram did. And when you are afraid, men and women of faith, people are looking at you. And they're watching how you respond to the fear. And basically what they are watching is, is your faith big enough to handle the real scary stuff that you're going through right now? They want to see, is Jesus real enough that he can help you handle the situation? And so Abram asks Sarai, his wife, and by the way, in just a chapter or two, they will become, uh, they will become Abraham and Sarah when she has a baby. But Abram asks, Abram asks his wife, would you just tell a half-truth for me? Now, I just want to ask you, is a half-truth a whole lie? Yes or no? Anytime you tell a little white lie, anytime you bend the truth a little bit, you're actually breaking the commandment. There's no a little bit of truth and a little fudge or a little uh, you know, bending of the truth. The truth is not elastic is what I'm trying to say. And Abram is going to stretch the truth like beyond the point of breaking to save his own neck. And I just kind of want to ask the question right now. He's scared. He's afraid for his own life. Ladies, can I just ask you, if your husband is scared right now because he's facing some really intense stuff right now, do you think less of him when he's afraid? Just go ahead and answer out loud. No, in fact, what you probably think is he's human and it's natural. And I love that man. I want to pray for that man. I'm going to encourage that man because he's afraid. But if he lies to get out of his fear, what do you think about him then, ladies? If he asks you to lie, what do you think about him then? Like, hey, I know I was wrong. I'm going to get arrested. You get in the driver's seat instead of me and make it look like you were the one that was wrong and not me. And when that moment comes, you just eroded your wife's trust in you. In fact, what she's probably thinking right now, and I know exactly what this feels like, is if he would lie about that, then what else would he lie to me about? 
If he would lie to his boss at work to make the circumstance better for him, then would he lie to me about something? And if Abram would have just stood his ground and would have spoken his faith, I think everybody, Sarai, his family, everybody would have been better because of this. But instead of trusting God, here's the truth. Abram starts to trust in the family culture in Egypt. And the family culture is, if I'm your husband, they're going to kill me to get to you. But if I'm your brother, they're going to treat me really well. And he even says to Sarai, why don't you lie for me so that they'll, so it'll be good for me. It'll be good for me, not you, but it'll be good for me if you lie for me. And now you know what he's done? He's asked his wife to be complicit in his sin to make things better for himself. I have often said in military audiences that there is nothing more lethal on the battlefield than a man or a woman, a warrior who doesn't fear death. Because if they have no fear of death, then there is nothing that the enemy can throw at them that they need to worry about. And by the way, the warrior on the battlefield that doesn't fear death will do, can do things that the rest of the guys on the gal or gals on the battlefield cannot do or will not do because they've got nothing to fear. And if Abram would have just walked into Egypt with that kind of faith, he would have never made this mistake. Do you know where that fear really comes from? It comes from not believing God loves you enough, not believing God is big enough to take care of you right now because you're scared. And I just need to remind you, church, fear is, or faith, real faith in a sovereign God who loves you is the antidote to your fear. It's not a vaccine to prevent you from going through hard times, prevent you from getting scared during very serious circumstances. It's the thing that gets you through it when you're right in the middle of it. It's the thing that you hang on to when the storms are blowing and when the wind is crashing in around you. I want to challenge you, church. Look up here for just a second. I want you to draw a line in the sand and I want you to make a commitment right now. Because maybe you won't do what Abram did if you will decide no matter how bad it gets, no matter how severe the circumstances, no matter how scared I am, I will not lie and dishonor King Jesus to make my life better. I will just simply trust him no matter how bad this thing goes. And if I trust him, I believe in the long run, he'll take care of everything else. Will you make that kind of commitment today? Because you have to do it right now before you get to this moment. Or else when you're in the middle of it, if it can happen to a guy like Abram, it's going to happen to you too. You have to commit today. I will not lie to make things turn out better for me. I'll just be honest and face the consequences. And if Abram was asking the question, why am I afraid right now? It would cause him to start to say, do I really believe that God loves me? Do I really believe that God is leading me? Do I believe that God controls what happens around me? And if I do, then what do I have to fear? You see, now we get to the real essence of what's going on here. Abram lies. 
he asks his wife to lie. And he's actually committing a sin to get out of his problems. And I want to ask the question for just a second. Why is telling a lie a sin? It's written in the human DNA. Everybody on the planet, doesn't matter what country you live in, doesn't matter what kind of home you grew up in, everybody has it written on our hearts that we know it's wrong to tell a lie. But we do it anyway. And even Abram, after he's been changed by God and called by God and promised by God that he will take care of Abram, he still tells a lie. And I want to ask the question for just a second, why is that even a problem with God in the first place? And the easy answer to this question is, well, God said in the ninth commandment that you should not tell a lie. You should not bear false witness. But it's actually more than that. You see, when you and I choose to twist the truth a little bit, to make the circumstances better for us in the future, what you're basically doing here, what I do when I do that, is you're saying, I'm not sure I can trust God. I'm not sure I believe God will take care of me. I think I can make a preferred future if I just don't tell everybody all of the truth. And the moment that you make that decision, you have essentially said, I will call the shots in my life. I will take charge of my destiny, not Jesus. And what I'm trying to say to you, church, you do this, I do this, we've all done this from time to time. You break the ninth commandment, you should not lie because you've already broken the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. It's when we decide I'm going to take charge and I'm going to make things turn out the way that I want them to go that, you, that leads to the circumstance where you do what Abram does here. Abram tells a lie and he dishonors God in the process. And I want you to see how the rest of this story ends in Genesis chapter 12. Look at what happens next. Verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. Then Pharaoh, and I'm sure Pharaoh is confused. He doesn't understand what's going on right now. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister so that I took her for myself as a wife? I want to just pause from the Bible for a second right now. And I want to ask you a question. What do you think Pharaoh believes about Abram's God, about Abram's faith right now? Abram, there was a famine. You got scared. You came to my country, and because you were afraid, you looked me in the eyes and you told me a lie. And I'm telling you, church, when it's scary, people are watching you. What do you think Pharaoh believes about Abram's God right now? Because of the way that Abram acted. God steps in and protects, supernaturally protects Abram's stupid decision here. And look at what happens next. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And by the way, best that we know, the famine is still happening here. You figure out where your next meal is coming from, Abram. 
And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. And when Abram leaves, he leaves much richer and much better off than he did when he first entered Canaan. But it's still by telling a lie that he tries to make the circumstances better for himself. It's still fear that is motivating Abram, not faith. Yes, it's always a sin. No matter how little that little white lie is, it's always a sin to stretch the truth. And the sin is not so much telling the lie. The sin is not trusting God enough to be king of your life. It's you taking charge and deciding to be king of your life. And every time we're not 100% honest, you are telling a lie. You are allowing people to believe something better about you just for the sake of your own uh, circumstances or making life better for yourself. Was he scared? Yes. But just because you're afraid doesn't give you the right to give in to sin. And Abram not only sins, but he asks his wife to sin for him right here. And Abram does something that just simply is a huge letdown for the father of the faith. Church, hear me. If this can happen to him, it will happen to you. It will happen to me. If you're not careful, you and I will walk down the same path that he walked down. You will give in to fear and you will make some mistakes and you will even bend the truth or do whatever you got to do to make the painful circumstances go away. Jesus warned us about this moment. Maybe Jesus was thinking about it when he tells, tells the parable of the four different types of soil. Jesus is describing the human soul. And he's describing it in terms of a farmer's field. And he says the farmer went out and he threw some seeds in the field. And of course, he's throwing the seeds in the field because he wants plants and he wants crops so he can feed his family. And Jesus said the first type of soil that he threw some seeds on was so hard that the Holy Spirit couldn't even penetrate that soil. The seed didn't even take root. In fact, it just fed the ravens of the air. They just came by and snatched that seed up because there was no place for the seed to take root. Second type of soil Jesus describes as a soil that has thorns and weeds in it. And the farmer throws some seeds in there and it grows up around thorns and weeds, but the thorns and the weeds choke out the seed and it never really gets a chance to become a strong, healthy plant. Third type of soil, this one fascinates me. This may be the kind of soil of Abram's soul right now. Jesus says, oh, the third type, it had some soil to it, but the soil was really shallow and it was rocky underneath the topsoil. So when the seed got into the soil, it sprouted up, it took root. But then look at what happens next. The harsh winds of life start to blow against that tender plant and the brutal desert sun starts to beat down on that tender plant. And because the soil is so shallow, the plant really can't grow deep roots. And as a result, those 
harsh winds, those dangerous, difficult circumstances of life, they choke the seed out and the plant really never has a chance to grow and it withers and dies because the soil of the soul is not deep enough. And Jesus says there's really only one kind of soil. Of all four of these, there's really only one kind of soil that honors your king. It's the deep, rich soil that goes so deep. And here's the thing. There's still going to be wind. There's still going to be brutal sunlight. There's probably still going to be some weeds around you. But that soul is so deep. That soil is so healthy that that plant will survive no matter how harsh it is. It will survive the fear. It will handle the famine. It will be able to take on the temptation to tell a lie to make things better for yourself. Jesus is warning his people, don't be the kind of person that when life gets hard, you wither, your faith dies, and you fall away. Because that kind of soil is not real soil to begin with. That kind of soil can't grow a deep, strong plant. Jesus wants your soul to be strong enough that it can handle the hardships. Because the truth is, the moment that you start to follow Jesus, your life will get infinitely better that moment. And it will almost always get immediately worse at the same time. And if you ask the right why question, God, why are you allowing these circumstances? What do you want in my soul to grow because of this? If you ask that question, you will probably be stronger on the other side of it. Every time I read this passage in the Bible, it reminds me of Javier Martinez. He's just a character in a movie. But Javier Martinez is in the exact same situation that Abraham is in. He is in trouble. He is unable to pay the bills. His family is literally starving in the movie when Javier is given a job offer. And he starts to work and he gives the job everything that he's got because he knows what it's like not to have enough money to keep the electricity on. So he is grateful just to have a job. And a couple of months into working, his boss calls him in the office. And he asks Javier to do something not only illegal, but to do something immoral. And his boss kind of threatens him and basically says, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, Javier, you're not going to have a job. And Javier knows that means I'm not going to have enough food to feed my family. Javier Martinez dis demonstrates the way that this should have gone with Abram. In the movie, Courageous. Watch this movie clip real quickly, will you? Javi, we need this job. For the first time in a year, we're able to pay the bills. No, Carmen, but he made it very clear. If I was not a team player, he did not want me there. Maybe it's not wrong. It just looks that way. He's the owner of the factory. He asked me to write down false information, Carmen. He asked me to lie. When do you have to give him an answer? 10 o'clock. Javi, if he lets you go, promise me that you will call me. If you don't, then I know everything is okay. Javi, I don't want us to go back.
Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I'd be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Well done, Javier. After six times, I was getting discouraged. Maybe if Abram doesn't run away from his problem, maybe if he stays in Canaan, he never ends up in a situation where he is so scared that he's asking his wife to lie, to protect his life. Maybe while he's in Canaan or while he's in Egypt, if he is just simply holding on to King Jesus, he never gets into the circumstance that he ends up in. Maybe, but we don't know how things turn out because Abram runs from the pain and he listens to fear and he even lies to try to get himself out of his circumstances. And you're going to be tempted just like I am, just like every follower of Jesus is to do what Abram did, and you might end up with much worse circumstances than he ends up with. Jesus is challenging us. The sun is going to beat down. Those harsh desert winds are going to come, and life is going to get hard. I'm promising you, Christian, this is going to happen, but I need your soul soil to be strong enough that it can handle that kind of pressure. I need you to trust me enough that I will be with you in the middle of the famine, that I will go with you into Egypt, and you don't have to lie because I've got you in the palm of my hand. So church, I want you to humor me for a second. I want to build something into your theology. I'm going to ask everybody in this room, would you just hold up your hand for just a second? And would you repeat a couple of things after me? Would you say first out loud, I am a child of God. And hold up one finger. Would you say out loud, I know that my God loves me. Say it out loud. And hold up a second finger. Say that my father is the king of the universe. Hold up a finger and say it out loud. And also say, I live in a broken world. Say it out loud and hold up a finger. Because I know my God loves me. 
because I know that he has got me in the palm of his hand, because he is the king of the universe, and because I live in a broken world, say this out loud, that means I'm going to suffer. Until King Jesus comes back and fixes this mess. And if Abram would have been hanging on, thank you, you can put your hands down. If he would have been hanging on to that, maybe his faith doesn't go off the rails today. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for all of us today. I want to pray that King Jesus will give you strength to start to walk with him for the first time, or maybe that King Jesus will give you the strength to hang on to him in the middle of some big problems this week. Will you just bow your heads? Would you let me pray for you? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.